0: Welcome. Well, I can see that we have no problem getting together and fellowshipping together. And that's really uh, what this, uh, this place should be all about is God's church coming together and for us to come together into this place and to feel that it's a place that is of safety or amongst one another as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ and we have this uh, this bond that we have because of Jesus Christ. It's it's why we can come together. Here's two churches merging together, and because of Jesus Christ, there's no wall, there's no separation, and it's incredible. We could we could up take us all here and go over to some other country and sit down with the believers there and do the same thing, because it's the same Jesus Christ wherever we go, isn't it? And so. Exciting. Uh, My name is uh, Greg Griffith, and uh, most of you we've already met. But I want to just say that the little bit that I've already learned, a Force Hill Baptist, a little bit of wandering around in this church, and even being able to see some of the history that is all over this place. Uh, it's it, to me I mean it's exciting to see just seeing some of the pictures and seeing some of the things that are still lying around there but it tells me there's a lot of good history in this church and I know a lot of you folks that have been here you've been here for a long time and many years and and so here we are now at, in 2015. And here I believe that the Lord, and I believe Pastor Steve believes the same way, that I believe that the Lord is bringing us together into this place. And I believe that he has a specific and a special work that he wants to do. He wants to revive something here that there's no deadness in the hearts of the people that we're gathering here. I believe that you guys are in love with Jesus Christ. You want to see something just of revival taking place in this place. That's not an issue of anyone's heart here because I sense that what's going on in your hearts is the real thing, that you guys are excited about this and we're excited as a church. It totally took us off guard when we even became made, we were made aware of this church and that you were considering letting this church go and when we found out about it we're thinking, you know what, Lord, we're open. I'm just open to what God wants to do. And if God wants to move, we've been looking around for a building pretty seriously for the last year, but even before that, we've been looking and and nothing there, nothing, and here we are today standing here. And so we come with anticipation of what God has for us and what God's going to want to do. I want to really thank Pastor Steve and his wife, just the little bit I've gotten to know them. Uh, both. Uh, by the way, I didn't introduce my lovely wife. There, there you go. She keeps me straight. There you go. And I, and I knew that she had a sense of humor when I talked to her on the phone for the first time when she was telling me you don't always answer your cell phone when she's trying to get a hold of you, and I thought, well, she's a good one. She fit in real nice. Yeah. But uh, we are are thrilled to be here, and as Pastor Steve said, we spent a couple of hours talking together, Kathy and myself, and we just had a wonderful time. I sense that the people in this church, and the love, and even Pastor Steve, and the years of ministry that he's been in, and and he's pastored a number of churches and moved his family all around this country, or this state, and uh, you know... Uh, it just tells me this man has a passion for the Lord. And so, you know what? Uh, the work is continuing. That's, that's what's important to know. The work never ceases because God doesn't cease working. It's kind of like finishing up the book of Acts. It doesn't end there. It just we're the continuation of the book of Acts. We're going to continue uh, this morning. I, I was thinking about, you know, coming here and uh, coming together for this first time And thinking if I wanted to step away from the Gospel of Matthew, which I'm currently in, I I believe that, and, and I believe Pastor Steve is the same way, I believe in teaching expositionally, I believe in just taking a book of the Bible and going through it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. I think it's important. I think it's the way that we best learn the Word of God. But as I was thinking about it and where we were at in our text in Matthew, I thought, you know what, I think we're in a good place. And so we're just going to continue on with where I'm already at in my teaching. And uh, if you could, turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 8, verses 14 to 27 this morning. And let's open in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness to us. Lord, I thank you for this church, Lord, that has opened their doors to Calvary Chapel Fellowship. And, Lord, we come to this place this morning as two churches that are merging into one, Lord, to glorify you. And that's what this is all about. It's not about us. It's about you. And it's about lifting you up. And, Lord, when we lift you up, you will draw all men unto yourself. And, Lord, that's our desire, Lord, for this area that we're in, where this church is situated, Lord, that people would be drawn to you. I pray that you'd bless this study, open our understanding and our ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I titled this morning's message, Following the Steps of the King. And those of you that have already started into the Gospel of Matthew with me, you know that I've brought you back to this verse on a number of occasions. It's in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. This is how it reads. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed Jesus from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. And we learned that from that verse that there was really three parts to Jesus' ministry. It was a a ministry of teaching. It was a ministry of preaching also to the unsaved. And it was a ministry of healing. And that was primarily what Jesus was here on earth for those three and a half years that he did. We finished his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount... In Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus came down from that mountain, he had his disciples and a multitude of people were following after him. And as he came down, we're told in one of the Gospels that he came into a city. When he came into that city, he he had a leper, an unclean leper, that came to him and began to worship him. We know that this leper... As he stood there before the Lord, humbled and really in faith, believing that God could touch him, the leper said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus put out his hand and he touched this leper saying, I am willing, be cleansed. That's the heart of our Lord. He's willing and he wants to touch people's lives. Everyone that came to him, he didn't turn anyone away. That's the heart of our Lord. And we're told in the text that immediately his leprosy was cleansed. A miracle of God. God touched him and cleansed him. And I've been sharing that there's always a bigger picture in God's healing. He wants to heal physically. He wants to touch. But the greater picture that we need to see is that he wants people to be touched spiritually. He wants people to come to a a saving knowledge of him. Then he came into this village of Capernaum, and we're told that when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, he's dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. That's our Lord. He just he just has this desire to minister to the needs of people. How many of you have been touched by Jesus Christ? Not only spiritually, but even physically in your life. That you know that was the hand of the Lord, that he preserved your life yet another day. Now this morning we come to verse 14 in our text. And we read this. Look in your Bibles. Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. And so he touched her hand and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. uh, The Jews during this time, and I've shared that these miracles that we're reading about here in chapter 8, they're pretty incredible because lepers under the law were... To be kept at a distance. And for Jesus to touch a leper would have been really a a breaking of the law. And then we have the centurion that was a Gentile. And Gentiles had no part in God's plan. And even in our text this morning, we look at this woman there, Peter's mother in law, laying there sick with a fever. And for Jesus to touch her hand, even that for a Jew, was something that wasn't proper. For Jesus to actually touch her hand, that was improper in their day. And so Jesus is breaking all the boundaries. He loves to do that, especially for the people that want to put Jesus Christ into a box. They want to just set him here and say, he only operates the way we want him to operate. But Jesus Christ does what he wants. He he can do whatever he wants and how he wants it. And that's important for us to know. All three of the synoptic gospels, which are these, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We also have John that's one of the gospels, but the synoptics are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Because of the similarities of stories that run through the storyline, but with three different authors. And so, whenever you're studying and you're looking at the Gospels, it's always good to go back and forth between the Gospels because there's little bits that you pick up from this uh, narrative than you do from another one. And so, it's good to look around in the, the Gospels and find the ones that have the same parallel stories. We have that here in this particular story of Peter and his house and his mother in law being healed. As a matter of fact, all three of the synoptics contain this story. But it uh, appears from Mark's gospel that when Jesus had entered into Capernaum that day that he came in with his disciples into this small city... And then he went to the synagogue. This was customary. This is something that he would have done. As he traveled around the the area of Galilee, going into the various cities, he would go into the synagogue, and there would be an audience there. There would be an opportunity for the Lord to begin to to speak and to preach and to teach there, even in the synagogue. We know that as he came into this city, according to Mark's gospel, that it was on the Sabbath day, which was Saturday. Saturday. We read in Mark 123 that as Jesus came into the synagogue it says that there was a man that was there in the synagogue that day with an unclean spirit. In other words this this man here I believe was a demon possessed man. Now think of this he he's in the synagogue. Here's a demon possessed man within the synagogue, within the church. And we read in Mark one twenty one. Then Jesus and his disciples, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, which is Saturday, they entered the synagogue. And there Jesus taught. And the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Now, what's interesting is these are the same words that we finished up the Sermon on the Mount with. As that multitude and the disciples heard Jesus there uh, preaching the, the most important message and sermon, if you want to call it, that he ever preached to them, or every that he ever taught to them, and they were amazed. He taught with such authority. We've never heard teaching like this. And here it is again. These people in the synagogue there, they're astonished at his teaching. What's astonishment look like? I mean, I just see their faces looking at Jesus as he's speaking, and they're just drawn in to the things that the Lord was saying. And it says, now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he begins to cry out. Saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? He's asking a question. This demon is asking a question through this man Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. That's the, the demon possessed man saying that to Jesus in the synagogue. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet. And come out of him. Don't you love that? Be quiet and come out of him. I love that. The Lord is just in total control of everything. I don't think that he was put off, surprised, anything. It just, be quiet. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed in him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. And then they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. They were amazed that he could even enter into that spirit world and say, and it was done with the very word of his mouth. For with authority he commands even the unclean spirit; they obey him, and immediately we're told that his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Started going, no texting, you know, no uh, no computer, and uh, no telephone. But people spoke; they talked about it. It began to spread. In Mark's account of this healing of Peter's mother-in-law, we read this. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon Peter. Simon was his first name that he was called, later to be called Peter. But we see in this account that he's referred to as Simon, the same person as Peter. And then Andrew was with him, his brother. And with them, James and John, who were also brothers. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever and they, speaking about the disciples, came to Jesus and told him about her at once. So they enter into this house. I showed our church that picture. They have actually believed they have found that house of Peter. But they, uh, they come into this, uh, this house, and then they come to our Lord and told him about her at once. So Jesus comes over, and he took her by the hand in this account, and he lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her. And then it tells us this, something that's really interesting and important. Then she just begins to serve them. She starts serving Jesus and the disciples in this house. She's just been miraculously healed in a very moment. And she immediately, we're told, begins to serve Pretty incredible, isn't it? That speaks something to me. That when God does something great and powerful and something in our life, when your life got changed, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, what did you want to do? I just wanted to go out and tell somebody about Christ. I just wanted to go out and do something for the Lord. God changes people's lives. He changes hearts. From Mark's account, we see that peter andrew james and john were also in this house with jesus i want you to get this this is the bigger picture the bigger picture is yes jesus healed her of this fever and a miraculous miracle was done but those the disciples were there to observe to see What the Lord had just done. Remember I shared last week in our church service that this day in Capernaum was going to be a very busy day? Well, it was. And so I want you to get into your mind that what has happened here, coming out of that synagogue and that demon-possessed man was delivered, that in itself might have been for the most of us here, yeah, I'm done for the day. But here we go off into Peter's house and now all of a sudden this woman with a fever and now she's raised up and now she's serving us. I mean, that's an incredible day, let alone the leper before they even made it into the city. These disciples were being put to the very test of what it meant to really follow in the footsteps of Jesus. He also writes this gospel that Jesus came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up incredible notice that the healing was instant it wasn't like you know the, the it just started coming down I know, we're watching the thermometer instantly this woman was healed and immediately she got to her feet and began to serve it was like she was regenerated renewed with strength and she just went about serving In Luke's gospel, we read in chapter 4, verse 38, Now Jesus arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house, but Simon's wife's mother was sick, and it tells us here, with a high fever. And they made request of him concerning her, so he stood over her, and we're told in this account that he rebuked the fever. He rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served him. That's Luke's account of this same story. Jesus stood over her and he rebukes the fever and then lifts her up. You know, sickness, and we need to know this, that sickness is associated with the curse. We know that we live in a fallen world, and we all get sick, and we have those ailments in life, and we're not always considering whether or not there's sin in our life every time we get a cold or a fever. There are times that we as Christians in this life, we're not exempt from it that we go through times of illness and sickness in life. But we need to know also that sickness at times is a result of sin. There are times, and I'm not saying that's the occasion here. I'm just bringing out the fact that there are times that we can become sick as a result of sin. We know that that happened in the Corinthian church when they were misusing the Lord's table. For this reason, many are sickly among you. But here we live in a fallen world that has been corrupted. But I want to say this. I don't put a demon in everything that we look at. And, you know, here's Jesus rebuking this fever. And then we're thinking that there's a demon in this lady. Because anytime you see about rebuking, it's uh, something that's of a demon sort. It's usually it's an unclean spirit. And then when Jesus is rebuking this fever, I simply say that Jesus is here commanding or ordering this to leave from her. And really we see in this chapter that we're in four of eight rebukes that Jesus gives. He rebuked the demon and the man in the synagogue. We already read that. And, and it was an unclean spirit. And we know from that convulsing this was a demon-possessed man. And Mark, we're told, that Jesus rebuked the fever. Jesus also, Jesus also rebuked the demons who were in the people that we're going to read about this morning that were brought to the house of Peter. And then we also see that Jesus rebukes the wind and the sea in this same chapter. And so rebuking is Jesus' command and authority to say something and it's done. I shared last week that this was a busy day for Jesus and the disciples in Capernaum. He was going to be teaching them something about ministry, what ministry is really like. Can you imagine what a day of ministry with Jesus would be like? Think of you walking along with Jesus as we read in the Bible and think about what just one day of his consisted of, of everything that's going on. Do you know that the Lord wants to use us in that fashion? when you go to work, when you're about your business, that he has plans and purposes for each and every one of us every day. It's not just when we come to this place. Every single day, the Lord has a purpose and a plan for us. And I believe that walking in the footsteps of Jesus was probably a very busy day of ministry, day in and day out. As these people were in that city being healed, demons being cast out the word would have spread quickly I mean this was pretty remarkable day there's a lot going on the word is spreading amongst the homes and the people in this city and even even maybe outside of this city and just when the disciples thought you know what Uh, we've had a day of it You know, we're coming to the end of the day, we've been busy, it's just it's been hard, it's it's over. And just when they thought that their ministry was done, here comes many more who were demon possessed. Whoa. I mean that I mean I would have loved to have been there, but I could feel the intensity as I read even these stories. But you know what? That's ministry in the church also. That's ministry in the church when you have people, lots of needs, lots of people. But Jesus is here in this story, I believe, doing not just a healing, not just a casting out of a demon, but he's also teaching his disciples about ministry and what it means to follow in his step. How many of you have come to know that this is true, that you think that You know, there's just one little thing that God had for you today. And then all of a sudden, something else comes up. You find yourself in here. And then somebody, you know, and I'll tell you, if you're involved in ministry, then you realize, you know what, it's a 24-7 in all of our lives. It's not just for the pastors. It's not just for the leaders in the church. Look in your Bibles at verse 16. The next miracle... This demon possessed man is freed. We read this when evening had come, <laughs> the disciples thought ministry's done. You know, uh, uh, Peter's mother in law got healed. You know, wow, Lord, look what you've done today. Ministry's done. But when evening had come, they brought to Jesus many who were demon possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word. And he healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying he himself took our infirmities and bore our sickness. He's actually, Matthew's account here he's actually quoting from Isaiah 53.4. What's interesting is that well, a lot of times when we read that passage in Isaiah we think of redemption. The redemption of our souls. But here... We see Matthew in this particular guy relating it to those that were demon-possessed, that were the demons were cast out and those that were healed were saved. And so I believe that when Jesus died on that cross, yes, he died for our redemption. Yes, he died for our spiritual healing. But he also died, and I believe that we might be healed physically. And I believe that God does still heal today. Does he always heal? No. Does he, can he heal? Yes, he does. Does he do miracles today? I believe he does. And then just to hear those words that it was spoken by, the, by Isaiah the prophet actually if you start at the beginning of Matthew just to this point we have already covered six quotations that Matthew gives from the prophet Isaiah he's, he's showing in his writing that the prophet said this is how the Messiah would be he would come into this world he would not only go to the region of Galilee prophesy he would not only preach the guy. he would not only teach the people but he would heal the people and it was all foretold by the prophet Isaiah long before our Lord ever even walked this earth so now they're in Peter's house Peter's mother-in-law had been miraculously healed by Jesus we have Peter's mother-in-law now joyfully serving all who were in the house She's just experienced this miracle of Jesus. She had been touched by Jesus. She was in awe of Jesus. She was filled with joy. She was overwhelmed with a gratitude for Jesus. And out of this overflow, she immediately begins serving all that were in the house. To me, that is the example to us. Here she is now serving with her whole heart. And then we read in Mark's gospel, as they were in the house, a very busy day was coming to an end. They hear this commotion outside. Just get this picture in your head. They hear this commotion of people outside and maybe they looked out the window. And as they look out the window, they see this whole crowd of people standing there at Peter's door. I thought ministry was done for the day. And now we have this whole crowd of people that are standing here. I would have loved to have seen the faces of the disciples as they were, you know, just standing inside that house, maybe still, looking out and seeing this crowd of people out at the door and thinking, I, I've seen that kind of face in ministry. Like, I thought we were done. I thought this was it. And here we are, and the Lord, all that came to him in. He'd never cast out. He never said, no, we don't have time. Our day's done. If you want to be in ministry, if you want to follow Jesus' steps in your own personal life, then you need to be ready to put your hand to the plow. You got to be ready. Ready? Because to follow in the steps of Jesus, to put your hand to the plow, it's what he calls as believers to do, not just a select few. Mark's account tells us in chapter 1 verse 32 that at evening when the sun had set, so the sun's going down, they brought to Jesus all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together there at the door. The whole city. Then Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases. He cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. He's in control of every situation right down to the very detail. I want you to get this picture in your mind of this crowd. It's estimated that that city of Capernaum could have had a population of about 1,500 people. It's a small village. It's not a city, it's a small village. How do we know that? Well, they archeologically have unearthed Capernaum. They know where it is. And they've looked at the houses, and they've estimated and come up with this figure of about 1,500 people. But if you would have been there on that day as all of these miracles, all these things took place, and then all of a sudden evening comes, and when evening comes, the Sabbath is over. Now it's opportunity for those people to begin to bring those who are sick. And they come to Peter's house, and they're standing out there in the evening time, and they're wanting a touch from Jesus. That's a pretty big crowd. We don't know exactly how many, but I, and I, I think there was a lot of people. In Luke's account, chapter 4, verse 40, it says that when the sun was setting, all those who had any, uh, any that were sick with various diseases brought to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them, get this picture, and he healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out, saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. When I read about this day in Capernaum, it started making me think about ministry here and now. Ministry in our, for all of us here It made me think of what it was like to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. What it means to be a a disciple of Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever experienced being exhausted in ministry? Being exhausted, yes. Being exhausted, being wearied in ministry. Do you think Jesus, you know, he was he was all man. He felt weariness. But he kept going in the power of God. He kept pressing on. If we do it in our flesh, we do it in our own strength. Yeah, you'll wipe yourself out. You do it in the power of God, and God will sustain you. You'll go forward, you'll do, and you'll continue to minister. Maybe some of us here have felt like giving up in ministry. Maybe it's when you first came to realize after you gave your life to Jesus Christ that, you know what, this is not an easy road. It's not easy following in the path of Jesus. And there were many disciples that started out and then they walked with him no more because it was too hard. Serving others, even within the body of Christ, is not easy, it's difficult to do that day in and day out. But you know what? I can't think of any better exhaustion than to be exhausted for Jesus Christ. You know, when I go out and mow my yard and get exhausted, (laughs) I don't like that kind of exhaustion. But I've been exhausted for Jesus Christ and I'm good with it. I'm okay with that. Paul writing to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, he says, I have shown you elders in every way by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. And remember the words of our Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. You want to be blessed by the Lord? Then you give of yourself. You give it out. You empty it out. You give unto the Lord. And you know what? Those blessings come back to you and you'll never regret it. You don't regret it. And I know that many, if not all of us, have experienced that. First John 3.16, John wrote, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. What's that mean? Jesus gave it all up on the cross and he says you should do likewise that you should lay down your life for one another. Does that mean that I need to get on a cross? In a sense, yes. Because we have to die to self. We have to do that to be able to give of ourselves to people. That's what keeps me going in ministry. What keeps me going in ministry is that I know that every time I do something in the strength of the Lord and God's doing it, I get blessed. Even though it's tiring at times, I get blessed. And I know that you do also. I love going on missions trips. Took a trip to Nigeria last year with Shane and our church. And we went there and we labored pretty much from morning till night. To people from one service to all that, just day, and we were there for, you know, eight days. A lot of work, a lot of labor, but you know what, we were thrilled just to get up and labor, and we're laboring for the Lord and laboring for people. We took seven people to Moore, Oklahoma, and we went there to help from those home, those people that their homes were destroyed in that F5 tornado, some of those people are here this morning that went on that trip. But if you remember, when we got there, we started building a shed. We walked around out in a field and we picked up the debris that was scattered from these houses that were destroyed. It was hot out, it was humid out, and we just labored there. And we, I believe we did it in the joy of the Lord. We drove for 15 hours, I believe it was, just to get there. And another 15 hours to get back. And while we were there, there wasn't a whole lot of thank yous. We were just there in the name of Jesus doing this unto the Lord. And you know what? We walked away and came back from that trip blessed. That's what makes the difference in ministry. It's why we do what we do. I know Bruce does that. As he goes off and ministers there with Samaritan's Purse, he gets blessed and he keeps going for it. It's because it's for Jesus. Know this, that the needs are endless for those who are willing to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. If you're willing to follow his steps, you'll find need after need and opportunity after opportunity. But being exhausted for Jesus, you're going to find that it's the most rewarding thing that you can do. We have a work here in this church in this area to do. I believe that God has done a work for many years in this church. His he, people have gotten saved here. You know, God has been glorified in this place. And, and, and the people that are in this church. I know this of the people that are here right now and I've only met you by name walking in this morning but I know that you have a passion for the Lord you're getting up in your years and you're here and you're still laboring on for the Lord and that to me tells me something of your hearts but know this that until the Lord comes to take each one of us home I think Woody's going to be turning 98 until the day the Lord takes Woody to be with him God's not done with you and he's not done with every single one of us here. I don't care, you know, your age, or whatever. he's not done until The breath is out of your lungs. God's not done with you. Or he would have already taken you home. And so press on. That's what we all do. I know at times in ministry we can get discouraged. But let me ask you something. How many of you in this place this morning are in full time ministry raise your hand okay I'm seeing a few more go up You know what I want to see? I want to see every hand in here. If you're a born-again Christian and you know Jesus Christ, you're all in ministry. If you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you're in ministry. So know that. And the Lord has a ministry for you. I didn't ask if you were an elder or a pastor or whatever. I asked if you're in ministry. And we all are. There are a lot of needs within the church. In the church and outside of this church lots of needs that are around here some of us in our fellowship Calvary Chapel are involved in children's ministry working with our children working with our youth but let me ask you are you giving it all your all are you giving it your all in our Sunday school are you giving it up because you love Jesus Christ and you just want to serve these children Or is it a trial for you to make it to Sunday school to teach our children? How about our worship team that we have? Are we doing it and are you doing it because you just have this overwhelming joy and love for the Lord? And when you get up in front of God's people that your heart is prepared and Lord, I'm just here. I want to lead these people into your presence because of the overflow that's coming out of my heart. That's the way it should be. We don't come to this place and come to church just kind of do our thing and then leave. If we don't believe that we've come here to touch people and be touched by the Lord, then we've just wasted a couple hours of the day. There are people who are hurting and discouraged inside and outside of our churches. There's marriages that are struggling at any given time. Within the church, there's people that are sick, even this morning in this place, and people are in need. Uh, And we have to ask ourselves the question, as Christians that are in ministry, am I willing to give of my time? Am I willing to pray with a person and, and give of myself when I come to this place? Or do we come with just the big grin on our face, hey, everything's good, we're all doing good? No, there's times that we're not. And that's okay. This needs to be a safe place that we come to. I believe that God has great plans for this church. Right here, Forest Hills Baptist. I believe God has a plan for this building to be located where it's located. And I believe it's for such a time as this. For this to come about where we're at here today and we're joining together, I'm taking it at... From the Lord for such a time as this. That's how I see it. And I believe that he wants to do something incredible in it and through us. In this place. We just have to ask ourselves, do I want to come along with that ride? And do we want to see this place packed out? And do we want to go to two services? Do we want to go to three services in this church? For God's glory, not mine. It would glorify God. God. I believe that we're living in desperate days as a church. Does anybody disagree with that? Desperate days for the church. Uh, You know, there's a lot going on in, in the church today. There's a lot of people that are actually bending under the pressure from other churches that are beginning to wane and to fall away and to compromise the word of God morally in every other way. Even within the church, there's people that are coming and just what they can get out of it and not what they can give. We're living in desperate days as a church. But do you know what? Those of us that are in love with Jesus Christ and don't want to do anything other than just to be used of him and love him and to see people grow through his word and to come to this place and to go out of here different people every week. You know what? We have hope. We have hope to take out when you leave this place. You see, this is a place to come to. We'll call it a workshop. And when we're done here in this place, then we have to go out for the other six days of the week, and six and a half days, and just say, Lord, what do you have for me now that I've drawn closer to you? As a pastor of Calvary Chapel Fellowship, I often sit as I'm preparing to teach And I have this overwhelming desire in my heart to see the people in this church falling in love with Jesus. Because I know this, that I can get up here and I can give a message and I can say whatever I'm saying. But I'll tell you, if you're not being touched with the love of Jesus in your heart through God's word and knowing him through his word, then it doesn't matter how well I can put a message together and what I can say to you, it's not going to have an effect. But if your heart is affected by Jesus Christ, I'll tell you what, you're going to go out of this place and you're going to impact people. And that's what I I want to see. That each of you are overwhelmed with your love for Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans 5, 5, he says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God, that supernatural agape love has been poured out in your hearts by the Holy Spirit, which he has given to us. Supernatural. It's not something we muster up. God does it through us. Look at your Bibles back in verse 18 of Matthew. Matthew. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he commanded to depart to the other side. And then a certain scribe came and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Here's now all of this multitude of people healed at Peter's house. Now Jesus is telling them to go down. It doesn't say a boat here, but it's to go to the other side. Speaking of the Sea of Galilee, probably that he's telling them to go to the far side of Galilee, get into the boat, go to the other side. There will be a time of rest and relaxation when we get there, though he didn't say that to them. And we know that when they get to the other side, does it? do you know the story? Demon-possessed people on the other side. Ministry continues. I remember taking my family to Wales in the UK back in 2002 plant a church, a Calvary Chapel fellowship there I remember standing in front of our church on a Wednesday night, teaching the Wednesday night service telling people, giving them an update of where we were at, we hadn't yet left to Wales and I remember standing there telling the people, you know what, I have the faith to believe that God wants to do this that God wants to send us to wells. But as I stood there, I had to say to the people, you know what? I have the faith to believe that God is able to do that and that he could use our family. But to be honest with you, I don't know that I have the courage to do it. You see, there's a difference. You could say I have all the faith to do these things, but do we have the courage to really step out? God proved his faithfulness because we were there for six years And he did give me the courage to do it, and my family. Jesus says in verse 20, he said unto them, to this scribe that came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Those are big words, aren't they? And we could also say that they're great intentions. Big words, and great intentions but I would say this be careful when you say these big words to the Lord and and you you think that you're going to be you know be careful what you say when you're going to say I'll follow you Lord wherever Greg do you have the courage to to move to Wells take your family and uproot them and go there it was a question mark until I got there I think Jesus said that the foxes have holes. He said this to the scribe. The birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That was a pretty radical statement to to this scribe. Then another of his disciples said to him, and probably not one of the four, but another one that was following after him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. You see, the cost of following Jesus uh, never includes excuses or time frame and you know, all these kinds of things that so often we want to put before the Lord. The Lord says, I'll take care of those things. If you want to follow me, it will cost you. We use lots of books that have been written. The cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus, and it does cost. In Luke 9, 57, we read this. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And then another, and this is in this gospel, it gives a third excuse. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus on the day, this day in Capernaum, was not only healing and touching lives, but he was also teaching his disciples and showing them by his example what it looks like to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. You want to have a day with Jesus? You want to have a day with then just following my steps for a day? Do you see the the scribe coming up with all the right intentions? He must have even had enough faith to approach Jesus to say those words, I'll follow you wherever you go. But when it came down to it, it doesn't tell us if he did or didn't. But the point, I believe, of what Jesus is saying here is that it costs to follow in my steps. Count the cost of what it means when before you say the words, I'll follow wherever you send me, Lord. Another test comes, we see it in verse 23, and we're drawing close to an end here. Jesus calms the sea. And the bigger picture to this part of the story, and I think it all is in line with this following Christ, is that he's going to talk to them about the issue of faith. We read in verse 23 that when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And then uh, suddenly, or out of nowhere, we could say, a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. Get this picture in your mind. This is a storm. This is the winds coming down through the passes. They're coming down onto the Sea of Galilee, whipping up the water down there to the point where it's rocking this small wooden boat to where it was almost ready to be swamped. These are fishermen in the boat. They knew that that Sea of Galilee. They knew what it was like to be out on there. This wasn't new. So this tells me this was out of the ordinary. This was all about, about ready to swamp the boat. Here's Jesus, we're told, sleeping in the boat. That means that they got into the boat. They went out for a bit. No storm going on. I don't think they got in there and it was just blazing storm going on. They got out there. Jesus is fast asleep in the boat. And here it comes. Suddenly... They're out there possibly in the middle of this thing. And here's Jesus asleep in the boat. Then his disciples come to him and awoke him saying, Lord, save us. We're perishing. You know, Get, get, get the picture in your mind. Here's Jesus asleep in this boat. And can you see the terror on their faces? These are fishermen. They're not, they're not wimpy guys out on the water. But they have this terror in their face. They wake him up. How can he be saved? They might even said, look, he's sleeping. We're going to die in this boat or in this sea. They're full of fear. And so they wake him. But he says to them when he wakes up, this is ordained of God. This is God's plan. This is God's timing. And this is what he says. Why are you fearful? Oh, ye of little faith. Notice he didn't say, oh, oh, ye of no faith. He said, oh, ye of little faith. Your faith isn't about that big right now. You've seen all the miracles that we just did in Capernaum. You've seen me cast out demons. You've seen all these things. And now we're about, you're saying we're going to perish in this boat? How many of us have done that? Well, one moment, great faith. Next hour, we're no. We're questioning God that he could even do this. We're told in verse 27, so the men marveled. Here they are again marveling, saying who can do this, that even the winds and the sea obey him. You know, fear is the absence of faith. Remember that. Fear is the absence of faith. Perfect love casts out all fear. And we need to ask the Lord, Lord, increase my faith, that I can trust you in the storms. Even when things get tough, Jesus is saying and showing these disciples by his very life and example, get into the boat. We're going to go across. We're going to go to the other side. And just by his example here, he's teaching them a lesson. You say you're going to follow me and that you're a follower of me. Well, there's going to be storms as you go. There's going to be difficult times for you as a believer and as a follower of Jesus Christ. Anybody, we all know that. But God is faithful and that's the important. He's going to be the faithful one to get us to the other side. Next week, as we finish up this study, in chapter 8 anyway, we're going to get to the other side. We're going to see that there's two men that come out of this cave, demon-possessed. I mean, think what these guys have been through. A whole day in Capernaum, now it's you know a whole night, and now we're on to the other side of the sea... And here's these two demons coming out of a cave there on the other side. When does it end? A day with Jesus. A difficult road at times. But one that you could never say, God, it wasn't worth it. You know, there's all the difficulties of moving my family to well, Six years there. I, I, I say it was the best thing that God ever did for my family. We went over there and served him there in a very difficult part of the world as far as the gospel's concerned. But I wouldn't change it for anything. God brought us to North Carolina, you know, a little over five years ago. Here we are. I I could have never imagined. We started in a school with five of us sitting in a circle. Like we were a church, but we weren't a church. And here we are now, here, credible. It's what God does. It's what God wants to do. We're told in closing... That the people were astonished at Jesus' teaching. They marveled that the demons obeyed his voice. They marveled that even the winds and the sea obey him. That's incredible. They were amazed. We also learn that following Jesus is not going to be an easy road. My prayer for all of us. When I say all of us as a church, I can say that because there's no difference between saying, you know, Forest Hill Baptist and Calvary Chapel Fellowship and God's perspective of things. He sees one body of Christ that loves the Lord, that has a purpose in this life to run hard until we stand before the Lord. And that we can all say we're all on the same page. Now we just have to ask ourselves the question, what does God want to do in this place? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for drawing us, Lord, to this place. I believe that you are in this place this morning. Lord, this is your house. These are your people. And Lord, we just want to glorify you. Lord, if there's anyone here that is hurting If there's anyone that's away from the Lord and not walking with you, Lord, that even now they would turn their hearts, Lord, in repentance and turn to you and just say, God, forgive me. Stir my heart afresh. Revive me, Lord. I feel like I'm dead. Revive me inside. Make me alive again. And Lord, that we would count the cost of what it means to follow you. Lord, we thank you. Pray that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would bless the food that we're going to partake to our bodies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.